Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey, fam. Happy Surprise Thursday. Yeah, surprise, surprise. <laughs> I am so excited, you guys. We are thrilled to be sharing episode one of the disappearance of Lacey Peterson with you guys. Yeah, so we, all of this is on the pace. Yeah. All, all the, of it. All six episodes are available to download Binge right this second. Girl, we have a lot of feelings about this. We do. <laughs> I, you do, I do, yes. Nancy Grace does, we, we all do. I honestly feel like this is the thing I was most jazzed to talk to you about in a really long time because I had such strong opinions that I felt like I could back up with my own, I'm not going to call it science, uh-huh. but my but my, my own evidence. Great, yeah, please don't call it science. <laughs> Let's not do that. You guys, we were obsessed with this. The six episodes are incredible. They're just bonkers, and we just had a lot of feelings and theories and opinions. Yeah, the jurors, right? Oh, my Lots God. Of cast, there's a big cast of characters in It's this. true. That's all we're going to say. So you can get that right away alongside our episode-by-episode coverage of Serial, The Staircase, Making a Murderer. The Jinx, Disappearance of Madeline McCann, Jody Arias. Lorena. Casey Anthony. Casey Anthony. <laughs> That's right. You guys, there's so much on the yeah. page for you to download and binge right this very second. Right. I, I really think Jody Iris and Casey Anthony are kind of the same person. I know. Which is why we're <laughs> listing them. I'm like, we already did that dumb bitch. Oh, wait, there's another one. <laughs> anyway, enjoy, you guys. And we love you. Yeah, we love you. Thank you so much. Girl, the murder of Lacey Peterson. I have been really, really looking forward to covering this with you. Why? Uh, because I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of like thoughts. I mean, everybody in the world just assumed that Scott Peterson was guilty as mm-hmm. hell, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that this series is really eye-opening. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Like I've mentioned, I know that everyone thinks he's guilty. Uh-huh. And I knew that the case was another horrible, like, oh, men kind of thing. <laughs> but I haven't Googled it because for the last two years, I knew this was going to be on deck for uh-huh. us eventually. And I'm, again, once again, I'm sure everyone's like, then why do you, why are you on a true crime podcast? But I <laughs> don't know that much about it, except I know that there are going to be some twists and turns. There's a lot of crime to cover in the world, you guys. Look, my mental health is at stake here. <laughs> I need to turn off the true crime and get into some musicals, you know? Girl, don't I know it. I mean, the- look, I- I'm talking to the right person here. <laughs> I'm in the right place. So it's Lacey Peterson, episode one, Missing in Modesto. Oh my God. God. I know, I know. All right, so this episode one opens with on-screen text. It says, in 2004, Scott Peterson was convicted of murdering his wife, Lacey, and their unborn child. Oh, God. I know. He was sentenced to death by lethal injection. And then it says, the following was recorded from San Quentin State Prison in 2017. This was the first time Scott has spoken publicly about the case in over a decade. And then we get a phone call. He's talking to his sister. Janie. Janie. And, and he's talking about... Like, like, his reaction to, like, hearing the guilty verdict. I couldn't feel my feet on the floor. I couldn't feel the chair I was sitting in. My vision was even a little blurry. And I just had this weird sensation that uh, I was falling forward and forward and, and down. And there was going to be no end to this falling forward and down. Like, there was no floor to land on. I, I was staggered by it. I had no idea it was coming. He's basically describing being numb and kind of having a silent panic attack. And look, silent panic attacks are a thing. I'm just uh-huh. saying. Can you imagine if he didn't do it? Can you imagine being the person hearing the guilty verdict in the courtroom when you legitimately didn't do it? And I'm not saying he did or didn't, but what if he actually didn't? What if he did? I, <laughs> better question. I feel like that's a better question. I mean, I'm not, I'm not being a dick about it. I'm just asking like, and the thing is that while he's describing this physical reaction of being staggered by it and this feeling of just 
just falling downward forever. We're seeing the footage of him hearing the reaction. Uh Uh-huh. And he doesn't look like that's what he's feeling. Now, (laughs) let me stop and say, truly, I have been in situations where I'm like, oh, I might die right now. Uh And I'm sure I didn't look like that's what I was doing. Uh Uh People hide that 100%. This is not an attack on mental health. I totally understand. I've been with you. People where I'm like, oh, God, I can't breathe. Oh, God. Oh, God. Put on a happy face, everybody. But this comes up with Scott Peterson, at least in episode one, a lot about what he says versus what he looks like. One million percent. And then I have, oh, Nancy Grace is here and she's not screaming. I have Nancy Grace as a narrator. Jesus Christ. (laughs) The case of State versus Scott Peterson, to me, feels like it just happened yesterday. Lacey went missing Christmas Eve. She's 27 years old and she is over eight months pregnant. I will say that Nancy Grace is like sort of remarkably calm in this instance. I've only watched episode one. You've watched all of these. A long time ago. It's been years. You know I hate... Nancy Grace? No. Well, what I was... Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is that you know I hate when I agree with her. I know. I know. And the thing is, we only ever cover documentaries where we agree with her because those are the cases that documentaries get made about you know what I mean that's it oh my god that's totally (laughs) totally it so we're not going to go through all of it but like the first five minutes of this episode is an overview of the entire case yeah and it's also about like why certain cases get picked up by the media Uh and why this media frenzy happens and suddenly that goddamn white bronco 24 7 news is entertainment like any good entertainment there's a formula for winning over the audience Find a defendant who's enviable. O.J. Simpson is sitting in the back seat and he has a gun at his head. Are they wealthy? And Martha Stewart, Kenneth Lay. Are they someone who depends on their popularity for their livelihood? Kobe Bryant, Michael Jackson. And probably most importantly, are they attractive or is the victim attractive? And you know, that's Scott Peterson and Lacey Peterson. And I know what he's saying. Like, he's not being garbage. Right. He's just saying, like, uh, the media's garbage. Like, we as a society may be garbage. Like, this is what we care about. Take a about. hard look at yourself, America. 100%. Yeah. Like, look in the mirror. Honestly, like, yeah. and I'm like, oh, God. How many episodes of this are there? There are a lot of truths <laughs> that I'm hearing. I want to just, like, go over some highlights that really stood out to me from this, like, overview of the entire case. Somebody that we will find out is Scott Peterson's sister-in-law. So, Scott's sibling's spouse mm-hmm. says to us, like, if you know what this case from watching television, probably almost everything you believe to be true about the case is not. To me, that was like a big revelation. Yeah. And then we also hear people saying like there's no forensic evidence connecting Scott to the case. You know, that's that's a sticking point for me. Yeah. And we learn there's going to be like stuff about the dog that re- becomes really, really important information. The dog's name is Mackenzie. I like, know. I, <laughs> Mackenzie did nothing wrong. And also, the, like, the last big thing we're going to talk about from this like big overview 11 people say they saw Lacey that day after she would have been murdered according to the timeline of the case right we also learned that like the cops never followed up on any of these leads god damn it I know Ugh. I know we get the opening credits uh huh the caption says reflective rock music <laughs> closed captions really like had, haven't given me much <laughs> 
in the last couple months, I yeah, feel like yeah, I used I, to always have like you know what the closed caption said, like you know babbles unintelligently or whatever. I haven't heard, seen anything like that, but reflective rock. Music. I love. I'm into it. Aww. Thanks, closed captions. So we get this timeline of the day that Lacey disappears, and it's intercut with like Scott's interview to police. Right. So it's December 24, 2002. We learn that that Lacey got up early and she had to like have breakfast right away because she was pregnant. She's eight months pregnant. And Scott gets up at 8 a.m. They watch Martha Stewart from and 9 to 10. This becomes very important, you guys. You guys, it really does. Remember this. Be, so Martha's speaking French. Martha. This is it, and it's called lemon butter cookies, sable au citron. They're making like <laughs> lemon butter cookies. I just have relax. <laughs> Martha. We get it. You're Martha Stewart. I know. Take it down a notch. And then Scott says that Lacey is mopping the floor. And I'm like, pregnant, huh? Eight months pregnant. She's still cleaning the kitchen. And she takes Mackenzie for a walk. Pregnant? I know. I know. I know it's in California, but California can get still chilly if you're near the water in December. Of course. So here's the other thing about this. It's Christmas Eve, Mm -hmm. and it seems like the two of them had absolutely no plans to spend any time together. Uh, Yeah, I I guess. That that didn't occur to me. Oh my God, that occurred to me so much because he's like, seemed like it was too cold to go play golf at the club, so I decided to go fishing. Look, I need to talk about this for 10 hours. I know. On Christmas Eve, you have a pregnant wife? You want to spend the entire day apart? I thought maybe in the afternoon, and then they would go see family later. Like it's it is early. Like if they're not hosting because she's pregnant, but she's mopping the floors and walking the dog like she's Annie. It seems like a very strange thing to me that you're not spending any time with you. You would rather be alone I know. fishing? I know. Also, so it's too cold to go golfing right. on land. Right. <laughs> but what you want to do is go fishing on the water? I know. I know. You are absolutely right about that. Right? So yeah. I'm like, all right. So now we get between 9.20 and 9.40 a.m. A neighbor sees Scott outside. Loading umbrellas into his car. Umbrellas? Umbrellas. Girl, I have that in all caps. Loading umbrellas. <laughs> Girl, what are you doing? To go We're- fishing? <laughs> By yourself? On Christmas Eve? I know! Eight months pregnant wife at I- home? The floor's not going to mop itself, Julian. I mean... <laughs> and Lacey shouldn't be doing it, goddammit. Oh, my God. And they, like, exchange pleasantries. So that's what the witness is saying. Like, they actually they actually spoke. Yeah, exactly. So Scott drives three miles to his warehouse. I have in parentheses what? <laughs> He's looking up tools on his computer. It's Christmas Eve. He's checking emails, and he hooks up the boat and goes fishing. Back to the warehouse. I know. <laughs> he has a warehouse. Is that his office? Yeah, it's where... This is going to become important later, too. Okay. So we learn that he like checks his email sends an email like these aren't things you do at home with your wife while you're drinking coffee or like hot apple cider on Christmas Eve I can't let it go exactly which is why I'm going to continue asking this line of questioning (laughs) Um, is the warehouse his office or is the warehouse where he keeps the boat and a computer just happens to be there that's a good question I think it's I think it's like his like man shed is what like like, dumb dude bros would call it like Mm. it's where he goes to build things and make things and like I think if he had like a garage or more room in his garage this would be his garage okay it's where he goes to spend time not with his pregnant wife. Got it. On Christmas Eve. Got it. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I, I got it. <laughs> so at 1018, and this becomes really important, a neighbor sees the dog Mackenzie walking around outside the home. The with do- his leash on. With his leash on. He's just like, the dog is just like walking around. Her name is Karen Service. Yes, and she's the neighbor. She grabs the dog and like puts the dog in the backyard and closes the gate. Right, and goes about her day. Yeah. Now we're back to the marina because Scott goes fishing. Yeah. Because it was too cold to go golfing. So he goes <laughs> on the water? I don't understand it. <laughs> 
So Scott has receipts from the marina that says he was on the water for one hour from 1 to 2 p.m. Yeah. And then at 2.15, Scott leaves the marina and calls Lacey both at home and on her cell. We hear the voicemails. Hey, beautiful. I just left a message at home. Uh, 2.15, I live in Berkeley. I won't be able to get to Villa Farms to get that basket for Papa. I was hoping you would get this message and uh, go on out there. I'll see you in a bit, sweetie. Love you. Bye. I'm sorry, did this not remind you of the Josh Powell call to Susan Cox? 100%. And I even have, like, this voicemail sounds so over-the-top lovey-dovey. Hey, beautiful. Uh-huh. I have very lovey in my notes. I just was really thrown back to the, the Susan Cox Powell case in this voicemail. Uh-huh. 100%. I'm like, bitch. Yeah. We've seen this before. I'm going to go I'm gonna go out on a limb and say something right now. I think maybe he didn't do it. Okay. So I'm going to approach all of this from the idea of maybe he didn't do it. So we're going to be very adversarial, I think. Well, no, I'm not going to defend him. Okay. I think this is going to be a very very interesting dynamic because I'm going to go I'm going into it as cold as I possibly can uh-huh. I mean you, I know not, that, not emotionally no, you, no, no 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 yes no god no um, but I know about Amber Fry like I yeah. know that he was cheating I know that dyeing his hair and getting the cash and trying to run to Mexico like uh-huh. I know that there are a lot of bad looks here and yes. that it looks like you did it yeah so I, but I'm going to go in I'm not googling anything I'm uh-huh. really going to go in devil's advocate or are you the devil's advocate here I don't know no I'm not sure either I let's guess find we'll- out together <laughs> So at 4.30, he drops the boat off at the warehouse. I guess my question is, what was he doing for two hours? Yeah. A&E, answer. You I have know. six episodes. I know. Right? I've got a lot, I have a lot of questions, too. So when he drives home, and he gets home, and Lacey's not there. And he says, like, he makes a note to say that, like, the only thing that was really weird was that the dog was, like, leashed in the backyard, and the door was unlocked. Right, because the neighbor saw Mackenzie in the street with his leash on, and she was like, uh, I'm just going to be the good neighbor and the good human and, like, put the dog in a safe place. Yeah, so Scott gets home and does some things that, like, can be painted to look kind of weird. So he, like, immediately takes all of his clothes off and puts them in the washing machine. Anyone who's gone fishing is going to say that's the first thing you do after you go fishing. Is that right? Okay, good. Because you're going to be stinky, right? I, I guess. Did he catch any fish? We don't know. I I agree, but yeah. I know people who go fishing, and I know it's like, you're stinky, you want to Okay, good. That makes sense. Because the other... Another thing that he does is he like immediately takes a shower. Another thing he does is he eats pizza and milk. <laughs> Which is just criminal behavior. Pizza and milk? Lethal injection just for that. I mean, your throat. I mean, not a singer. Clearly not a singer, all that dairy. Someone didn't take drama. So then he calls Sharon, who is Lacey's mom. When I answered the phone, he said, Mom, is Lacey there? And I told him no. And then he told me that the car was there and the dog was there, but she wasn't. Because he, like, assumed she was with her mom. Because it's Christmas Eve and she should be with somebody who loves her. I mean... I know, I know. And she's eight months pregnant. I know. I have a lot of questions. Oh, God. So at 547, Lacey's stepdad calls 911. And we hear the call. Because the thing is, Lacey's car is at the house. is at the Peterson home. But Lacey's not there. Right. And the dog is there with the leash on. Like, to me, that screams panic. That screams totally. alarm bells, shower schmower. Sorry, everyone that has to be around me if I just went fishing. Like, right. this is a very <laughs> suspicious thing. Yeah. What the fuck? Uh, yeah. So at 6 o'clock, the police arrive. Detective Al Brocchini is, like, the, the guy assigned to this and everyone's saying like luckily Al Brocchini was the detective that came out because I can't think of a better guy to go out on that first night because of his bulldoggedness than Al Brocchini. What we're told is that he like storms into the house and he's like tearing the house apart from minute one. Right. And he's saying look there's no forced entry there's no struggle there's no blood Uh huh. what is going on here? So now we get like that night like midnight that night from 12 to 1 a.m. there's a videotaped interview with Scott and the police and we see it. So this is where we start to hear that like Scott Peterson was 
wasn't acting the way that everybody expected him to be acting. But he did volunteer and he was very cooperative. And I'm also going to call bullshit on the whole idea of like there's one way to act when like something bad happens. I agree. Because I don't buy that. I'm writing for me. I'm disqualifying all of that. I was going to say that later on at the vigil. Yeah. Which we'll get to. But I am kind of done with this whole there's a way unless you're I don't know like Michael Peterson and OJ <laughs> yeah. and Casey Anthony. <laughs> And Jody Arias. <laughs> right. Look, unless, whatever. Uh, but I'm, I'm with you where it's like, you. I don't know. I, I'm done with with people being, mourning people. Well, because it's not evidence. You know what I mean? It's I just not evidence. So yeah, so Scott sits down for this voluntary interview and- He's talking about the timeline. Right. He, we were, they're going over the whole day again. And the cops are like immediately saying to him like, girl, tell me again, are you sure you don't know where she is? My favorite thing about this- Yeah. Is that he's like, look, we watched Martha Stewart. Right. And they want details to prove he was actually watching it. So the detective is like, uh... What was she making? What was right. Martha making? Like yeah. this is, and the, you know what I love when they say things that are silly, but then they become really official. I'm like, this is on the official paperwork. Uh-huh. Where it was like questioned about what Martha Stewart was making that morning, and then he's like, oh, she was making cookies, like something with meringue. And I just love the idea that it's like, hey, Carl, <laughs> someone give a goog. What was Martha making this morning? We're gonna get this guy. We're gonna go. We gotta get to the bottom of this. Martha's gonna crack this case wide open. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. Just let me know. And then it's like Scott. <laughs> Look, it's just me and you here, okay? Uh-huh, uh-huh. What was Martha making at 9.23 a.m.? We were watching her favorite show, Martha Stewart. You remember what part you saw? And also, so they're asking Scott, like, Scott, just like between us, it's just us here. It's just us. And the cameras. Right. And your rights on the line. Uh, And they ask, like, did you have any marriage problems? Nope. Not at all. Perfect. A hundred. I mean, if I, if I were to rate it on a scale of one to 10. Be like 105. Easy. Yeah. It's the whole thing of like, if Scott Peterson didn't do it, he was in the absolute worst position in the world to prove that he didn't. Because all the shit that comes out just looks like they had a terrible marriage. Yeah. So, like, now we're seeing Lacey's mom. There's, like, a two-camera interview where we're getting a little bit of background about Lacey, and she's just saying that, like, Lacey loved Superman. Like, the Superman movie. Superman. We had to watch Superman. I don't know. I can't tell you how many times I saw Superman. (laughs) Anytime it was on HBO, it was almost like, don't let her see the commercial. Don't let her know when it's on. Of course, she was only five or six at the time. And she said something that I was kind of like, oh, my God, that's me still. Like how Lacey was super empathetic and would cry at the same parts of every movie. Uh-huh. And like she didn't want anything bad to happen to people. And like I cry at everything. Yeah. Which I know maybe people are like, wait, really? I cry all the time. So do I. At movies and things that are people like. People are listening to me being like, yeah, girl, we yeah, know. Yeah, bitch, we know. But things <laughs> that make me happy. I cry happy tears. Uh-huh. I cry like. I know. I've seen it all the time. All the time. Yeah. Like I really do. So when she said that, I was like. Oh, God. But the thing is, I'm surprised that, like, this isn't what you're saying because the mom is saying, like, she always cried at the same spot and then it's, like, dot, dot, dot. But at least we knew she had a heart. It's like a jab to Scott Peterson of, like, he was a heartless maniac. So now Detective Brocchini calls Detective Bueller on Bueller. Christmas Day. So Bueller was still finishing up a double homicide he caught 10 days ago. Okay, girl. It's like, what are you, Rabia? Jesus. God, we get it. I know. Also, keep doing your, that good work. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Rabia. Um, <laughs> so he's just like... We had Scott come back. I got to tell you, I was really expecting more from him. I was expecting him to start asking us, what have you been doing? Uh, have you done this? Is there is this a priority? And so his behavior was a little bit different from other people that we dealt with. He just didn't seem to be as interested in what we were doing. 
Th- look, I actually don't really love Bueller. There's another minute that we're going to come to in a minute where it's like, I, I actually don't really like this guy. Stop making a decision about somebody's guilt based on how they're behaving. Right. I'm not into that. But he did say like that Scott wasn't interested in what the cops were doing. So if you were to put yourself in that position, because we would both do the same thing, I'd be like, what are, what do you need from me and what are you doing? Yeah, Tell but, me what you're doing to help me find my wife. I totally agree, but maybe he's thinking I'm going to keep my goddamn mouth shut and let them do their job. I'm going to keep the lines of communication open by not being annoying. Go do your jobs and let me know what you find out. Because we come to this whole thing about the polygraph test. Oh, God. I feel like we know this because we are in this world. Like, you never, ever agree to a polygraph test, right? Yeah, and you also shouldn't ask for one because they're bullshit. They can't, they're not even admissible. No, but cops use them as a litmus test to see if they can trust you. So we see the scene in the original interview with Scott Peterson. The cop says to him, like, I want to rule you out. Will you take a polygraph test? Scott Peterson says yes without any hesitation. Just to eliminate you as a suspect, would you be willing to take a polygraph test? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, it's not nothing I can use against you, but yeah, I believe they're accurate. Uh, and he's like, they're accurate, right? And he's like, uh, it can't be used against you, but yeah, like, it'll, yeah, it, it lets me know whether or not I can trust you. And Scott Peterson says, yes, I will take that polygraph test. Right. And Scott Peterson's dad is like, I said, anything else you do, don't take a polygraph. I knew that if it cleared him, we wouldn't hear anything about it. But if there was something a little bit hanky or something, they would turn it into a, gee, that's a, that's a sign of his guilt. So what happens is in the intervening days, when Bueller comes back to him and says, girl, it's time for that polygraph test. Scott Peterson says, I don't want to take it. And now the cops are holding it against him. Right. And the cops keep saying this line that I think is valid. But now that it's sort of like tainted with the polygraph thing, it makes no sense. But they just keep saying, like, we just want to clear you. Uh So do what you can do to help us clear you. And then we can get to actually doing our jobs and finding your wife. But anybody who pays any attention to any true crime, anything knows the husband is always a prime suspect no matter what. Where is Scott's lawyer? Why is he not screaming from the rooftops for a goddamn attorney? Why are the cops talking directly to... I mean, I know from the cops' perspective why they're doing it, but isn't this also more of like a he probably didn't do it if he's not like lawyering up? Right. I'm just thinking like if the dad was smart enough to say... Do not take this polygraph. Why wasn't he also saying, Here's your lawyer. Lawyer. Right. Lawyer. Yeah. One word, lawyer. And also, if polygraphs are not admissible in court, these cops admitting on be- camera to saying that like his refusal to take it made us think he did it, that's super fucking garbagey. I think that like from the very beginning, he is the most likely suspect because he's the husband. Uh-huh. And they were looking for any reason to decide that he did it. Right, because it's Christmas Day and right. everyone can go home. Oh my God. All this aside, yeah. we have to talk about Ted Rollins. Yeah. KTVU reporter. Uh huh. I don't think I've ever seen anyone who loves their job more than Ted. I was working for KTVU Television Channel 2 in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was a morning reporter, so every day was a different assignment. Classic morning show reporting where you go to an accident scene, you go to an event, turn it and burn it, and then move on to the next day. Life was fantastic. <laughs> Except for waking up at th- 3 in the morning every day. That sucked. He was living the life as a 5 a.m. news reporter. (laughs) Truly, he loved it. He loved it. He loved it. And he was saying that, like, look, it was December 26th. It's the day after Christmas. Everything is really slow. KTVU Channel 2 reporter Ted Rollins joins us now live from Modesto with the story. Ted? They're looking for 26-year-old Lacey Patterson of Modesto. She is eight months pregnant. He got her name wrong. But I also, he's like, it was a slow news day. Yeah, let's give a shit about the missing pregnant woman. I know, I know. Ted, you're better. Better than this. So now the press is already suspicious of Scott. Right. 
right. Like, what's the deal with his alibi? Was he fishing alone? But then the police give a press conference and they're asking that very question. Like, can you tell us a little bit more about this fishing trip that happened right when she went missing? Yeah. And the cops were like... Probably viewers would find it odd that you're, you can't explain what the, the husband was doing fishing. Well, no, let, me, let me just... Let me, yeah. Let me kind of just put that all to rest. It, it would be wrong for me to speculate. I don't understand what you're talking about, speculating. You, you mean whether he was actually fishing or not? Um, we're just, uh, yes, it would be wrong for me to speculate. They want the cops to spill the tea, and they can't do that during the press conference. But the cops are tainting the media by right. not explicitly saying, I'm not talking about anything. To what say the word speculating. Right. You guys, we're not off to a good start. I'm going <laughs> to say it. So December 26th, you guys, the search parties have started. Yeah. Holidays are over. Yeah. So the community turns out in droves for these search parties. And this is kind of amazing. Like, this is like what gives us hope when we cover these things. Yeah. Everyone in the world is looking for Lacey. Volunteers set up a command center at like a local hotel. Hotel. They run out of maps. There are so many people. Yeah. They run out of things to give out because so many people are turning up for her. Yeah. Also, Scott's poetry is hung up on the walls. What, is, is, with, what is with the poetry? Well, my thing is like, Scott, when did you write that? Did you write that while she's been missing? Like, girl, there's a better way to use your time. Like calling a lawyer, maybe. <laughs> I yeah. mean, now we get the background of Modesto, the town where Lacey went missing. And it's what we, you always say, like, we don't need this part. Yeah. But it's it, like, it was like a lovely, just a regular American town. Yeah. In 1955, it was voted the All-American City. George Lucas made American graffiti about it. Yeah. Which is the pinnacle of like All-American. With a American. young Richard Dreyfus. To- poor Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> I love Richard Dreyfus. Me too. I He's love him super too. Wi- what about Bob is like the best? I <laughs> Stand by me? Stand by me is like my favorite movie of all time. Mr. Holland's opus. (laughs) Or as Linda Belcher from Bob's Burgers would say, Mr. Holland's old penis. So Manessa's great. Everyone cares. Everyone's nice. Everyone's genuine. Of course, there aren't going to be enough maps to go around for Search for Lacey. (laughs) Truly, like, it's a great town. Everyone Uh gives a shit. Also, she's cute and white and pregnant. Yeah. Of course, everyone's going to turn up for her. Of course, yeah. December 26, 2002, 5 o'clock, two days missing. Susan, Scott's sister, is now on the scene. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to start dinner. The detective walks over to me, and uh, he sees me putting the lasagna in the kitchen in the oven, and he says... Uh, I don't think you're going to need to to be doing that. And I go, well, why? We need to eat. And he says, we have a search warrant and we're going to be in here for several hours, maybe in through the night. And so this is where we learn a couple of things. Yeah. On the very night that Lacey went missing, Scott agreed to a search. They didn't have to get a search warrant. They let He let the cops in. They searched Two the house. Two days ago, Christmas Eve. Right, top to bottom. So now they're back. Even the police are saying, like, we're not even looking for evidence. We just want to see how Scott's going to react. They tell us this now. Right. But at the time, you know, his sister's trying to make food. The family's there. They're yeah. kind of holding vigil, like, in their own way. But the biggest thing is that in this instance, they want Scott to sign his signature on something that says, you can come and search the house. And we are told that Scott had been told whatever you do when the police come up and have a document don't sign it without talking to a lawyer but again it's just we don't know if any of this is true it's just what we're being told now by Scott's family by Scott's family so we are told that Scott calls a lawyer what should I do the lawyer doesn't call Scott back in time and so the police just execute the search warrant and now this is another thing that makes Scott look bad now I want to is that even allowed I don't know but I want to say one thing here because the next shot is of interview with Bueller the guy who executed this search warrant and the movie makers don't 
ask him about the signature. Because if the signature part is really true, mm -hmm. if they really needed a signature and Scott didn't want to sign because he didn't, he was just waiting to hear back from his lawyer, that's a really, really vital piece of information. I have that written down too, where I'm like, how is that even a thing? But like, we don't, they don't, the filmmakers don't ask the guy. Right, they don't right, ask right. the guy that brought the search warrant. Like, we could have gotten an answer as a viewing public. How are we supposed to believe this? Uh huh. You know? Totally. I, I totally agree. So, one of two things is happening here. Either Scott said no because he's got something to hide, or Scott said no because he's waiting to hear back from his lawyer. The filmmakers were in a position to ask the very guy who gave them the search warrant yeah, yeah. and didn't. That is frustrating to me. Yeah. Because we need an answer to that question in order to make an informed decision without being able to see any of the evidence or question any of the witnesses. That we can agree <laughs> with. We're both on the record. Let me tell you about Gloria Gomez. I... Okay, so Gloria Gomez is a local reporter and she is wearing extensions for days. I... We met her in the, like, coming up on... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Story. So we didn't talk about this at the beginning, but I'm going to scroll up in my notes because she is asked a question. She is twirling her hair. I know the, exactly what you're going to say. And the camera person, you know, I love... You know I love... When you can hear, like, the producer ask the question. question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if he didn't do it? Is that a real question? No. And I, suddenly the, she's chewing gum. I know. It's a whole thing. So I'm like, who is she? So when she finally comes back, it's like all caps bold. And I'm like, Gloria Gomez. Okay, I see those extensions. <laughs> With the low pony where <laughs> totally. the extensions are clipped at the nape of her neck totally. and it's all the way down. And so I have Gloria Gomez, the reporter with the hair flip. Yeah. She shows up and she sees the pups because now, of course, they have dogs on the scene. Yeah. And she's like, oh, my God, this is a real case. Right. This is real because they've called in the dogs, literally. And she's so, telling us how, like, she's got ears everywhere because she's like a local reporter on the scene making relationships with everybody. She wants us to know she has eyes and ears everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's we see you, Gloria. She wants a spot on the Today Show. She is angling. Or The View. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> she totally wants to be on the video. You're absolutely right about that. So now we get to December 27th, three days missing. We see Gloria. I went on the air and then the story really blew up. We got on the air and we said, they just executed a search warrant. They're going through Scott's house. And then of course that story blew up. Suddenly it's <laughs> Jenna from 30 Rock. I did. I wore it better. I did. Attention fives. A 10 is speaking. So Gloria went on camera. Yeah. <laughs> and the story blew up. Gloria. Gloria. But now we're back with other local reporter, Ted Rollins, and he's telling us. My photographer and I went to the front door and rang the doorbell, and there was Scott Peterson. And right away, he did not want anything to do with the camera, which, of course, was odd because that's usually the person that wants the media attention. Yeah, I remember walking away from the house looking at my photographer and saying, hmm, something's going on here. What his point is, is that like, this is when everybody in a situation like this wants the cameras. Cause it's like any eyes and ears on the story is like getting the story out there. That I agree with. I, if you're not, as long as you're not talking about the way he's acting, I'm totally with you. But I think he is saying like, well, wh like why doesn't he want to be on camera? And because we get this whole thing with the vigil later where yeah. it's like whenever he is on camera, he's ripped apart. I don't know if he did it or not. I don't like him from the get go. I'm yeah. saying that right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm with you. He's not the kind of guy I'd want to be friends with. Like right. he seems like a 
asshole. Yeah. But that doesn't make him a murderer. Yeah. No, I agree. Can we talk a little bit more about Lacey's family and their press conferences? Sure. Because there's, you guys, I'm not like laughing. I'm just saying like this really stood out because Lacey's mom seems like a rock. She seems like a very strong, composed woman. She's got a job to do. We saw this with Kate McCann. Mm -hmm. You know, like maybe would come off a little bit cold, but we find out the backstory is that she was told she had to be. Whatever, like no judgment at all. But we see a press conference where they're just sort of like talking to whoever they think may have taken Lacey. And the mom is at the podium speaking into the microphone and Lacey's dad starts to talk. Please, please, please let her go. Bring her back. We love her so much. We want her back. Please have her back. And a second, he is a blubbering mess, hunched over, sobbing and crying. We hear Lacey's mom go, Dennis. I didn't hear that at all. I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's such a human moment. You're laughing because it's Steve. Because it's exactly Steve. Steve said that to you four (laughs) times today. Patrick. And then Gloria, two camera extensions for days, is like, look, this is what we wanted from Scott. We wanted him to be doubled over and sobbing hysterically. And Gloria, I think you're a smart person, but you're being an asshole when you say that. Like, you cannot base your opinion on how this, if this person killed his wife or not, on how you think he should be reacting totally we have to put an end to that how do i start a nonprofit? i don't know but guess what nancy grace is here <laughs> here's the thing about nancy grace her thing is he just run me the wrong way there's just something about him i know this is really the only bit we have of nancy grace in this episode i'm told she comes back in, in <laughs> episodes forthcoming but she's everyone else in this documentary is doing that thing where they're looking just past the camera <laughs> They're looking to, they have the cam- the PA behind them, look here, look to me, don't look directly into the camera, to tell their story. Uh-huh. Nancy Grace, because sh- she just can't goddamn help herself, <laughs> is looking directly into the camera, leaning forward where, like, things are a little out of focus because she keeps, like, and she, like... You can see every inch of her makeup, and that's... Listen, I'm sorry that she has to wear all the makeup, but she you can see the makeup caked look, on her face. we all do, but yeah. she's looking directly at the camera like she misses having that show so bad. Does she still have that show? <laughs> Who cares? Well, it doesn't matter. It right. seems like she misses it. Because she's doing that thing where she looks directly into her camera and is uh-huh. pointing at you, probably. And I'm Who just also like, killed Lacey Peterson? Right. And I just can't. And it's like, it's so ridiculous that she was like, I'm just going to look right where I know how to look. I know where the camera is. Just rub me the wrong way. And then we go right back to Nancy from 2002. Uh-huh. And she is not the Nancy we know today. You're right about Because she used to be like a co-host on Larry King. She is not screaming. No, because she had, was like in a legitimate media organization. Yeah, and she's saying this thing. I don't care what a defense attorney will say, that there's no playbook for grief or no playbook for shock. You know what? If there was a chance my child or my husband or my loved one could be found, I would be out there beating the street, begging for people to help me. But he did not. And that just struck me. The wrong way. She thinks that if you are mourning, you have to do it the way she tells you to. Yeah. With her eyes directly into the camera and pointing at you. I've been pointing at you for five minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's Because fine. now Nancy Grace is here in the room. <laughs> She's here with us today. No, you're right. She cannot get over the fact that, like, if your kid or your wife or whatever goes missing, that you wouldn't be screaming from the rooftops. Right. Not everyone is screaming, Nancy Grace. But you weren't in 2002. But can I just say this? If, if I went missing, Steve would not be doing that. No, Steve is, Steve is not a scream from the rooftops kind of person. No. But so, like, 2002 Nancy, because she's on Larry King or whatever, and he's like... It also could be an old boyfriend that you don't even know about. 
Well, of course, it could be anybody. It could be extraterrestrials right. that came down from Mars. But statistically, it's probably not. Is this the genesis of the Nancy we know and hate today? Probably, but I also love that in whatever statistics Nancy Grace is looking at, like 2% of the time it's aliens. Right. <laughs> but I also love that Larry King's like, it could be not Scott Peterson. And her answer is like, well, sure. Right. And then she's just like, oh, shit, what? So she has to be like, uh, it could be aliens. Like, she just right. has to deflect Always. and just talk about something crazy. Yeah. Because, and also Larry King and Nancy Grace together. Jesus Christ. I know. I know. 2002 but, was a weird time. Oh, yeah. God, it was a weird time. So now at first, like now we're seeing back when this is first, you know, in the news, Lacey's family doesn't think Scott was involved. They're a- they're actively defending him on the news. But Lacey's mom is emphatic that they don't think she ends a press conference because she thinks that like Scott didn't do it and she doesn't want to talk about it. Right. We feel Scott has nothing to do with it. With the disappearance of Lacey. So we get like some of the backstory about Lacey and she was like a horticulture major because she loved plants. Yeah, she loved planting things and watching things grow and like being in the dirt. And I just, I don't know. I just thought it was a very cool thing. It was cool. And this is where we see that like, you know, we hear from the family that like initially they weren't going to have kids. And then like six months later, they were trying to have kids. It's that whole like young love thing, you know, and then like Lacey gets pregnant. And the thing that's crazy about this part is there's all these home videos where we see Lacey. We get to actually see her as a person. Are you sure you're ready for that, Lacey? I just, I remember when you were the left, so I can't wait for you to have one, just like you. Yeah. Oh, you feel better? I'd only ever seen her in pictures, and you see her talking, and she's like young and beautiful and cool, and yeah. you're just like, oh my God, she was a real person. And people are saying, you know, she made Scott really, really happy, says his family, and they were just really happy to be pregnant, and they already named the baby Connor. Yeah. And um, they knew it was going to be a boy, and so they had this whole nautical theme for the bedroom and it's just like you guys we're gonna get our hearts ripped out like yeah. that's just what's gonna happen okay so we're gonna jump ahead in time a little bit December 30th 2002 just a si- couple days in time just a couple days not like normal documentaries <laughs> where we're going 10 years back and 10 years no that's know. true but we find out that there was a burglary was reported across the street from the Peterson home they think this burglary happened on the very day that Lacey went missing Christmas Eve morning at 11.40am and so like for everybody involved this is a major break in the case and then we we learned that like a neighbor reported this and we like we see a reenactment of this and it's basically the neighbor saying like December 24th I was on my way home and when I went by uh, Medina's house I saw people on the lawn in a van I noticed it because they all turned around and looked at me and I thought hm, that's weird and she didn't put it together until another neighbor told her about the robbery that she herself witnessed. And right. she was like, oh, shit, I was there. <laughs> oh, and by the way, that was the same day Lacey Peterson went missing. And because there are police all over this neighborhood. <laughs> she, she, like, literally went to her front lawn. And yeah. was like, <laughs> she grabbed a cop. <laughs> ma'am, tap someone on the shoulder. Hey, girl. I got a story to tell you about, like, the day Lacey Peterson went missing. Across the street from her house, there was a, ba- a break-in that I witnessed. And this is where we get everybody saying, like, and, and even Nancy Grace is saying, like, In my mind, there is no coincidence in criminal law. What if they came to her place and she was there and they tried to burglarize it and they killed her? Because that is a common scenario. 
And other people are telling us that, like, also, Lacey was the kind of person that if, if she saw them breaking into the neighbor's house, she was definitely going to get involved. Right, right, right. And also, again, with, like, with polygraphs, yeah. eyewitness accounts are the most unreliable accounts you could possibly have. They're also not really relevant in court. It, the only thing that I will say is that the other thing we know about that is that they're more relevant when you can tie them to a date or an event. Right. And I would argue that Christmas Eve is kind of a big day. I certainly would. You know, like, if this woman is driving home and sees this burglary, like, maybe she was driving home from the last minute Christmas shopping sure. or whatever. You yeah, know what no, I mean? No, totally, totally. Because the date of this burglary becomes very important. Yes. So now it's January 3rd, 2003, and they arrest the burglars. Yeah, so like the story breaks in the news, and it's a, kind of like a really big story, and the cops tell us they arrest these burglars. We meet the burglars. Steve Todd and Glenn Pierce. They and are- they're like... Well, they picked up the safe and took it to my house, and that's all that I had to do with it. I didn't have nothing to do with the... Just one thing. Yeah. So there are two like older white dudes in the reenactment of Diane, the witness who sees them. uh, It's just like a bunch of Latino dudes. Yeah. And we even see the police report that she filed and it says like dark skinned men, parentheses, not African-American. Yeah. And it turns out to be, I did not, I didn't notice this and and I'm noticing it now that you're saying it. Yeah. So in the reenactment that they have of her driving by and seeing like people actually taking like furniture out into an unmarked white van, there are like three Latino dudes. Because that's what's in the police report. So is she racist or is A&E racist? Or is this not at all the people who actually burgled this house? I mean, let's go there. Yeah, because what we're being told now is that these burglars could not have been the people who killed Lacey Peterson because this burglary actually happened on December 26th. Right. So remember our reporter friend, Ted Rollins? How could I forget? So you guys, Ted has been all over this house since the morning she went missing. He's like... They now say the burglary took place on December 26th, not December 24th. The problem with that is... I was standing outside that house at five in the morning on December 26th, and I would have gone and interviewed the burglars if they were out there because there was nobody outside the front of that house. Yeah, he's like, hey, Modesto PD, your story's full of holes. Yeah, because this house is right across the street from Lacey Peterson's house. If it had been the 26th, I would have interviewed them. Yeah, I would have been like, hi, sir, would you like to say anything? What do you have to say about this? Like, he was totally in their faces. uh, This has stayed with me ever since the very first time I saw this documentary. It has got, Nancy Grace tells us there are no coincidences in this kind of criminal law. Don't say Nancy. Don't. I, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying there is no way that there was a burglary across the street at the very moment Lacey Peterson went missing and they're not connected. Yes, I agree. Because the idea that this burglary happened on the 26th, blown out of the water. Yeah. No way. It's yeah. not possible. But this is why eyewitness accounts are so unreliable because it just makes no sense. Like what she's saying makes no sense. Unless the cops just wanted to frame Scott Peterson because he's like the most likely suspect. I mean, I guess we'll see. I'm only one episode in, girl. <laughs> but I'm here with you. So now we're at the vigil. Look, I know I'm going to get a lot more shit about how Scott wasn't behaving the way people wanted him to behave. So it's December 31st, seven days missing, and Scott goes to the vigil, but he really doesn't want to be in front of the cameras at all. Like, he makes that very, very clear. And I will say again, that is weird. Not only does he not want to be in front of the cameras, he doesn't speak at his wife's vigil. Right. So, like, her mother gets up, his mother gets up, mm-hmm. but Scott Peterson, 
the husband of the missing woman doesn't speak. Right. And it could be that maybe he thought because there was a cloud of suspicion over him already that that would cloud the story of like looking for Lacey. Yeah. But like, Scotty, you got to also weigh the optics of you being there and not speaking at your wife's vigil. Well, speaking of optics, there's this photo that becomes like, I don't want to use the word iconic, but it becomes a thing. Yeah. Of him smiling at the vigil. So we hear from Scott's sister. My daughter wanted to put her candle down there. And at this time, Scott was standing with us. And so he got down and they had kind of a, just a cute moment. Um, Really not sure who said what, but it made them all smile. And there were photographers right there and they snapped, you know, a photo of them. This goes viral. Now, on one side of the coin, you could say maybe this is exactly why Scott didn't want to be in front of the cameras because anything, he's bad at this. You, I mean, he's bad at this, and you can take anything. Uh-huh. Like maybe he's just literally putting on a happy face for the little girl and trying to be nice to his niece or whatever. Or maybe he's like really enjoying one happy moment in a in a really fucking shitty time in his life. Right. Or he's a monster. Like, right. I, like yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like for every time an interviewer asks us why people love true crime, this is why because you could think about it and twist it and turn it. It's a Rubik's Cube of possibilities. Right. And people are fascinated by that shit. Right. Now the media is going extra crazy because it's like, oh, he's smiling. And it's like, no, he's helping his niece or he's a monster. Like, again, like <laughs> I don't know. Again, uh-huh. you guys, one episode in. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I just want to point out, though, that his family in this in this documentary and like, let us not forget, this documentary gets unprecedented access to everybody in this case. Right. They have an answer for everything. And, of, sure and of course they will. Like, of course they're going to have an answer for every single thing. Yeah, it seems very biased right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to say that. Yeah, it seems biased. I mean, they equally interviewed both families, but I don't mean to be advocating for Scott, but I there it was very eye-opening to me in a lot of ways, but mm. at the same time, the Peterson family, you don't have to have an answer for everything that actually makes it look less good. Yeah, yeah, You know what 100%, I mean? 100%, yeah. 100%. So now that vigil was on December 31st at 4.30 p.m. Yeah. December 31st at 3.05 p.m. So this is before the an vigil. Hour and a half before there's a phone call <gasps> scott is like hey happy new year i want to call you i'm by uh, near the eiffel tower new year's celebration is unreal the crowd is huge scott is making this voicemail from Lacey's fucking vigil and he's calling amber fry his girlfriend who he's been cheating on Lacey with and he's telling her he's in paris at the eiffel tower on new year's and it's a party and, and he's using the crowd of the vigil to make it sound like he's at a big party and if you're listening to this in like 2290 200 years from now when our po- our podcast is still very popular <laughs> And you have no, like, you don't know the story. I'm telling you, girl, you have a lot. There's a lot that's about to happen. I mean, it's a bad look. It is. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if he made that phone call, he did make that phone call from the vigil. I mean, it sounds loud. I, it's a, it's the thing where if he didn't kill Lacey Peterson, he was in the perfect position to be made to look like he did. You know what I mean? Which is also another way of saying, like, he probably killed her. And, you like, know by what I mean? who? Like, who has it out for Scott Peterson? Well, but what if it's just bad luck? Like, there's a reason why there's only 20 of these cases in the world that we talk about. And what if it's just that these are the... The 20 unluckiest people to ever live, no. you know? No. <laughs> nope. I didn't buy it in cereal and I'm not buying it now. But you don't think Adnan is guilty. No, I don't. But I don't think it's because he's unlucky. I yeah. think the cops are shit. Right. You know, I think there's a, a lot working against him, but I'm not sorry, Sarah. We're not going down the luck road. I like, know. I know. I know. Anyway, that's the end of the Anyway. <laughs>
Uh, I I don't know what to say other than I'm obsessed with this case. I'm yeah. obsessed with this series. And you guys, if you want to, you can binge and download the other five episodes right now on our Patreon at the $5 level. Right. Only if you want to. If you don't, no hard feelings, no pressure. No. Do you. Whatever you got to do. But just a reminder, there's also like a hundred other full bonus episodes to like download right this very second. Right. The Jinx, the Raina making a murderer, the, the Staircase. Ser- the Serious Kid. We just said this. I, know. I don't know why. I always just- That's how many you guys. We can't I know. I know. I know. I know. Check it out. Patreon.com slash you come obsessed or go to our website. Click on the Patreon link. We love yeah, you. Have some fun. Join yeah. us. Join us, won't you? Join us on the Patreon. <laughs> Join us. <laughs> there was a little Pippin for you on your oh, Thursday. Oh, boy. Full Pippin. <laughs> anyway, we love you guys. Bye. We love you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.